host of The Cell. I invite you to listen to our program every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. I would also like to thank you for listening to Community Radio on WGRN LP 94.1 FM, Columbus. I'd like to welcome our listeners back. I hope you guys had a great weekend. We have Amy Harkar, and she is the family care manager for the Ethiopian Tawahito Social Services. And I also have with us Ernie and Tish with us today as my co-host. Information ought to be really exciting. And uh, Amy, I'm going to start out with asking you to please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you ended up working for this organization. And then I definitely have to ask, how did they come up with this name? (laughs) Those are really good questions. So thank you for having me. So first, I started volunteering with ETSS back in probably 2009. Um, I have a, actually a background in photography and art. So I used the things that I had learned from that to um, help start planning some of the fundraisers and events for ETSS. And I did that for several years before I came on board with them full-time in 2014. And our name, um, so our um, executive director is Dr. Seleshi Asphal. He um, came to the United States from Ethiopia. Uh, He was a medical doctor in his country of origin. So when he started this organization, it really was to serve the Ethiopian immigrant community. The name Tawahito means unity and coming together. And so as we started to expand services and the agency started to grow, we also started to expand to provide services to immigrants and refugees really from anywhere in the world. You are the family care manager now, and what exactly is it that you do? Um, I have a really interesting job. I get to work with some amazing people. Um, The program that I manage is for domestic violence, human trafficking, and survivors of other types of trauma. They come to us and need safety planning, maybe legal services, have immigration questions, um, need access to public benefits. And really, for many people, they need to know what their rights are in the United States. So the organizations, you have people that apply for citizenship or asylum or maybe possibly a temporary visa to come from Ethiopia or from other international countries to come here due to either being a refugee or just immigration? Well, we don't actually, so we've just now started to, um, for the first time ever, we are helping to resettle people here in the United States. So as part of um, Lutheran uh, Social Services, we are working to resettle some of the Afghan families that are coming here. And that really has only been in the last couple of months. Prior to that, um, and for the majority of our clients, they've already come here through some type of immigration process, like you mentioned. Perhaps um, came here on an immigrant visa or are now United States citizens or came here seeking um, refugee or asylum status. So once somebody comes here as a refugee, for example, they're usually given services for several months, and then there isn't a lot that happens after those first 90 days. So the goal of ETSS really was to come in after that 90-day mark and start providing services so that families really could get the services that they needed, which included things like ESL classes and employment classes. So those were things that we really have been doing at ETSS for a very long period of time. 
I was looking at the board and management team. That's, you guys got quite a few people on both both sides of that. How often do you meet and uh, do your planning? Um, that's a good question. So I'm not I'm not super active on our board, although I do know many of our board members. I know that they do an annual retreat, and we look at the strategic planning for the different programs set out a five-year goal with them. They do, the board does approve any of the grants that we're going to apply for um, to make sure that we're staying on the, on the right track and getting things that are really going to be in the best interest of our, the clients that we're serving. So I believe their meetings, if I'm not mistaken, are quarterly with an annual retreat at the end. Is that meeting here in Columbus or? No, most of the people that we um, uh, work with are in the central Ohio area, and that's where the majority of our clients are from as well. So they will, um, yeah, the meetings will take place here in Columbus. Okay, thank you. About how many people do you serve, do you think, within a year, and how has that changed since COVID? I would have to pull our numbers for the entire agency. Now, I know for us and the family care team, while we've been doing some really amazing and really difficult work through the pandemic, we have actually seen our numbers decrease. Um, and part of that is not just that we're in the midst of this pandemic, but also the fact that we have um, had substantial budget cuts the last four years. And so as a result of that, we have actually lost staff. Um, until just recently, we have had some good news come in here in the last few weeks. But for several years, we were having um, significant budget cuts. And so we were losing staff and therefore obviously able to serve less people in the family care department. So we had went from serving around 120 survivors with, uh, you know, 150 to 175 children that also benefit from the program. This last year, we served closer to about 75 clients um, with still over 100 children that receive some services through our program. But we have seen a cut in the number of clients we've served, unfortunately. But a lot of that, it's hard to say what's specific to COVID um, or budget cuts. With COVID, it, it certainly has made it more difficult for survivors of violence to be able to leave their homes. Um, and certainly at times has made it harder to get the services that they needed because you know when everybody is stuck home together, it's harder to make that phone call. Okay, one of the things that you talked about, Amy, was domestic violence, human trafficking, and sexual assault. Are the, are the individuals already here that are Somalian or Ethiopian or any type of international uh, community, I mean, how does that all fall into play, what it is that you do with those three things? Um, that's a great question. So actually for us, most of the clients have already come here. And, you know, as we know, um, domestic violence can happen in any, um, any community, whether American-born or foreign-born. It doesn't, doesn't have any boundaries um, as far as race or religion or culture. And so this is any individuals that are already in the United States that have come here on any type of immigration status, even including um, individuals who are undocumented, and they're already here. And so our job really is to make sure that we provide outreach to those communities so they know that there is an advocate that is available to them. My amazing team of advocates speak um, Amharic, which is the primary language of Ethiopia, as well as Somali, Mai Mai, Swahili, and we're actually in the process of trying to add um, additional advocates that speak even more languages right now to serve those individuals. 
Because what we find is obviously language is a huge barrier. If you don't know what your rights are in the United States, you may not even realize that you've been a victim of human trafficking, for example. Um, so we want to provide that information to people on what do those things look like? What is domestic violence? And what can people do and what rights do they have once they're here? So we'll go, um, we do a lot of translated materials when it's appropriate. We do a lot of partnership with other agencies so that they know we're here. So perhaps a survivor goes to legal aid, for example, and says, you know, they need um, a custody issue or a divorce issue and they've experienced domestic violence. If those individuals are foreign born, likely legal aid with their permission is going to ask if we can come in and help with their case because we know that long term they're going to be more successful if they have an advocate with them that can help with language and cultural understandings as well as things like transportation and getting down to the courthouse and knowing what um, to expect once they're there. So it really is for anybody that, you know, is already here. We have not, that I can think of, had anyone that, you know, came to the United States on a type of domestic violence status to get here. But we do know that for many of the survivors that we've served, they benefit from things like the Violence Against Women Act, which has an immigration status that could provide them, you know, a green card, for example, if they didn't already have that. It's a long and daunting process. It takes quite some time. Oftentimes we're talking, we serve clients for several years because of the number of barriers that they face. So we, you know, help them through all those different barriers in the language so they understand, you know, what the next steps will be. Can you uh, talk about your youth summit and the evening of promise? Do you still have those annual events? Um, yeah, so Youth Summit obviously has looked quite different here the last couple of years. We had really hoped to have an in-person Youth Summit again. At the end, we usually have that at the end of our summer camp and youth programs, the summer youth programs, and that typically brings together around 500 youth, um, anywhere from the ages of about 5 to 18. It's really remarkable from all over um, Columbus. And just because of safety concerns and while we really hoped that COVID would be over by the end of summer, we all know that that has not gone away. And so we, what they did is at each one of the sites, I believe we had eight sites this summer um, that had a summer program. So each individual site did some smaller um, scale celebration. Uh, we didn't think it was probably the best idea to bring 500 kids together, <laughs> um, think about busing and things like that um, in the midst of a pandemic. And I know that is something that we, everybody enjoys that because it's just really amazing to see so many different children there from so many different backgrounds. They get a chance at the end of the youth summit typically to do their cultural dances. So the youth will work on this all summer long and perfect their dances. And they get to show, um, you know, we'll have like the Nepali dancers come out and they'll do, you know, a cultural dance. And then the Ethiopian children will come out and they'll do a cultural dance. And, and 
I mean, you get to see children from at least, you know, probably eight to 10 different countries and cultures showing off their dance skills, um, which is really pretty amazing to do. So I'm really hopeful that we'll be able to do that maybe this summer with the vaccines and stuff coming out. That's something that we could do again. But our staff gets to go to that. We help with a little bit of everything, doing activities, taking pictures, serving food to the kids. And it's always a really, really fun thing that we get to enjoy doing. It's often on a university campus. So the kids get to go to a college and sit maybe like in the large auditorium there for some of the events. And and then at the end, we kind of just turn it into a, a, typically a soccer game and a little bit of a party where the kids can just kind of play and run around and dance or be silly, whatever it is they want to do. So well, that is just something that I've enjoyed doing. I've been a part of that for over 10 years. And talking about it just makes me miss it even more because it's just really such a wonderful thing. And then our annual fund, fundraiser is our um, Evening of Promise. And that is still done. We we did wind up switching kind of last minute back to virtual. Again, we had hoped, you know, I think every time we've probably all done this, you get your hopes up like, okay, things are going to go down and maybe it will be safe in a couple months to uh, have, you know, indoor gatherings again. But we just thought it was in the best interest of, you know, everybody that would be there to make sure we were being safe. So they did have it virtually this year. Um, they were still able to do an online auction, which was nice, and still have some speakers and highlight some of the programs and what we do. But we are, when we use the word Tawahito and unity and coming together, that really is in everything that we do. <laughs> so when our office was you know, when everybody was working uh, at the office, it was so common for us to do, um, you know, potluck dinners and celebrations and just really have that um, family environment that we all really um, appreciate there. So we are all anxious to get back to some resemblance of normal <laughs> in those kind of <laughs> gatherings because uh, we've all really missed it. That is That is one of the highlights, I will say, of of my job is that I've gotten to work with so many people from so many different countries and cultures. And if there's any way to bring people together, it's with food. Um, and so we're always, you know, enjoyed those things so much and can't wait to get back to that. Excuse me for a minute. We need to take an identification break. Hi, this is Ernest Kelly with the Faith Thomas Foundation. You're listening to The Cell on 94.1 FM, WGRN, and WGRN.org worldwide. Listen to us every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. So you guys are located off of Mount Vernon, but do you have other sites that you operate out of? Um, we do. Our our Mount Vernon office um, has been there for quite some time. Um, we're right now. It's mostly our data management specialists that are still working from there. Um, we have really outgrown that office, um, and it's in need of some um, major renovation. Um, but um, so we are not there very often right now, um, except for just a few members of our team. We do have a location over on the east side of um, Columbus, kind of right in between um, Whitehall and Reynoldsburg on McNaughton. The Prince of Peace Church over there has been extremely generous to ETSS for as long as I've, I've been with the organization, so nearly 10 years there. So um, they've been really great to us, and they have a space next door that they have allowed 
the refugee, the Afghan families coming in now, they're kind of using that as their main station uh, to do paperwork and, and things over there for the incoming families. And then as far as the, the summer camps, we also have after school programs. So those are happening. And if I'm not mistaken, those are currently at about eight different locations. And those really are kind of all around uh, Columbus, on the north side, east side, west side, and towards um, the Grove City area. That way we can make it easier for the kids to get there and get the services that they need. Amy, uh, could you share with our listeners how ETSS goes about getting involved in community events? Uh, if if Dr. Celeste can talk to anybody about our agency, he will do that. Um, <laughs> this is certainly a passion project for him, and he does go to um, I mean many different partners um, throughout Franklin County area and surrounding areas um, know about our mission and the work that we're doing um, because he is just such a great advocate for this agency and for our clients. We also we had a, a team um, for the last year and a half that worked in partnership with places like Franklin County Public Health and did outreach events and vaccine clinics. So those were being hosted on the north sites and the east sites at times to get out information about what we're doing and and share that and have that partnership with those organizations. Um, On our east side, like we have done diaper giveaways and things like that as well to get into the communities and um, be providing some direct outreach services. And I know at times we have had, you know, tabling events and things like that um, pre-COVID, of course, when we were able to go into some different types of outreach events For example, every year at the courthouse uh, in April for Victims of Crime Rights Week, we would, um, our agency, uh, Family Care, would go down and have a table down there and share information about what what we do, but also making sure that we're communicating with other program partners so that they know, again, what services we're able to offer. I was going to say, if you said that you went down there and you took some food, Ernie was going to say, I told y'all they have food at the courthouse. <laughs> I I have had a number of meals at the courthouse, but I'm not, ah, you know, the, the, the diner is Ernie. not really, uh, <laughs> Ernie. We've, not gone and we've not taken any food down there, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> that was an inside joke that Ernie, uh, that was with another uh, guest that we had, and that was an inside joke about that, the courthouse had food and stuff when you came down there. So when you start talking about that you went down there and then you said something about food, I said, oh, this was perfect for me to bring this up to Ernie. About that. He was right. They had food. <laughs> well, we'll have to see if we can diversify the food down there and uh, get some Ethiopian food or Somali or Nepali food down there. <laughs> that would be something different. Can you tell our listeners, provide our listeners with your your website, your phone number, how they can go about contacting, you know, your organization in regards to some of the services or programs that you offer. Yeah, absolutely. Our um, website is ethiotss.org. So it's E-T-H-I-O-T-S-S.org. Our main office phone number is 614 252 
1-800-273-5362. And so the information on our website will talk about the different programs and what we have. Um, it also lists needs and things like that that we're looking for. Um, you know, for example, for our Afghan families that are arriving here, if people had, you know, furniture or wanted to make a donation, something like that to help those families, they can get the information on the website for that. Amy, if you would speak to, like, the character of the immigrants coming over here, refugees, if someone asks you, like, what are they like? What are their characters like? Can you speak to that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, this is just one of the best jobs I've ever had because the people that we work with are, are really just amazing individuals. And um, whether they've come here as an immigrant, as a refugee, if they're newly arriving like our Afghan families are, or if they've been here for, you know, three, four, five years, um, the, the goal really is for them, you know, they want to work. I've worked with people and yeah, yeah. they you know, they want to work, they want to contribute, they want the same things that we want, right? They want safety for their families, yeah. they want their kids to get an education. Education is so important to the families that we serve uh, to make sure that the children are are doing really well in school and have the services that they need. Um, you know, there's, they're much more in common with them than what we have differently. You know, a language barrier, really is nothing. I mean, you know, we can always figure out ways to work around that. And um, at the end of the day, they just want their families to be safe and well. Um, I think what a lot of people don't understand for, you know, for somebody, uh, a refugee, for example, that's come here, you know, they may have had a really great life at one point back in their country, wherever that was. Um, yes. you know, Dr. S Dr. Seleshi, for example, he was a medical doctor in Ethiopia. You know, and people come here and they they have that loss of status. You know, they don't want to have to get help. You know, nobody, they don't want to have to do that. Um, but they, they do need assistance when they first arrive here in the same way that anybody would need it if they went to a different country and didn't know what to expect and didn't speak the language. And actually, the financial benefit of immigrants and refugees coming into the United States far outweighs any costs um, that we often associate with a refugee coming in, for example. Their contributions, starting new businesses, bringing in new ideas into this country is just one of the, one of the best things. You know, we are a country of immigrants and we just need to make sure that we're being as open and respectful to the, the new immigrants coming in as we would have wanted for, you know, our grandparents perhaps when they arrived exactly. here or great grandparents. So to me, when people ask me, you know, what my thoughts are on this, I go back to the belief that everybody is deserving of basic human rights and decency and dignity. And so that's really what we need to focus. And we need to make sure that we're really going, I, I mean, I think of it as going by the sil silver rule. You know, I'm treating people the way that they want to be treated um, and how you know, they want to be communicated with. And I'm doing it in a way that's respectful um, of their country and their culture. And I'm going in with curiosity and not with judgment. Well said. Thank you. Because mm -hmm. uh, because we we had uh, refugees uh, when I worked at the post office. And, and like you were saying, the 
you know, the judgment, the prejudgment before even, you know, finding out what they were like was just uh, uncalled for. So, uh, you, uh, you know, you said that perfectly. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you asked that question. I had a neighbor who was from Eritrea, and uh, he was like about 90 years old, and he spoke in an old language, and so I had a hard time finding anybody who understood him. He kind of adopted my family. Like, he would come to my door and say, come. Mm. <laughs> I would go. <laughs> <laughs> so we would work out what it was that he needed. And so as a last-ditch effort, uh, I typed in your services, and I drove him down there. And sure enough, one of the ladies, the receptionist, I guess he used to be a priest uh, in, in her area. And so she was able to, to communicate with him in a way that I certainly could not. <laughs> oh, wow. Everywhere I called, nobody, nobody knew that it was like it, the language was, it was, it was an old Semitic uh, language. Um, and so you provided a service to Mr. Waldo that I really appreciate. Oh, that's wonderful to he- to hear. I mean, I, I think, you know, we, we really are, we're all connected in some way. Um, and so I think that's wonderful to hear that they were able to provide that. And I, I'm sure I know who the person was and I could just see her being a little <laughs> firecracker <laughs> and taking care of everything that he needed. So <laughs> that's great. Well, Amy, do you have anything that you would like to say to our listeners before we close out? Well, I just want to thank you for this this time um, to talk about this. And I, I do think, you know, the question on what are, you know, immigrants like and refugees like. And at the end of the day, they're just like the rest of us. Um, they want, you know, similar things. And um, if we could all just treat each other uh, with respect and dignity, I think we would all be in a much better place. Amen to that. Amen I agree. To I, that. I agree uh, 100%. Well, Amy, we appreciate you coming on here and sharing with us about your organization. Um, I'm hoping our listeners out there, if they need any assistance, that you'll contact uh, ETSS. With that being said, this is Felicia, your host. Peace out. The Faith Thomas Foundation would like to thank you for listening to The Cell. We broadcast on WGRN 94.1 FM every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. You can also stream us live on Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. on WGRN 94.1. For more information on the Faith Thomas Foundation, please visit our website, Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. Twitter handle is FaithThomasFDN.